Our daily Bible readings we've been sharing as a church throughout the Advent Christmas season has been dealing with the senses, what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can say. The final readings of 2012 talk very appropriately about finishing well so that you can start well. I know that God views time much different than we do. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't have to have a 12-month calendar. He doesn't need an uh, eye calendar. He doesn't need a day timer. I think God sees things from the big picture view. But yet he understands and knows that we operate on a different level of time. And we see things and we give significance to the annual events in our lives. So we'll begin a, a new year in just a couple of days. We'll build up to the great event of Easter, which is going to happen early this year. It'll be March 31. I have in my hand uh, a copy of our new daily Bible readings that will take us through the first quarter of the year. We've gotten these ready. They're going to be very, uh, I think, uh, helpful to each one of us if we participate. We're going to begin <clears throat> this week looking at the lives of each of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the 12 that he chose. And that will ramp us up to the great event on March 31 of Easter Sunday. So I want to encourage you to pick one of these up at one of the info centers as you leave, or if you're uh, subscribed through our email uh, reminder through our website, these will be coming to you every day. I'm one of those kind of folks that uh, enjoys both venues. I like the printed copy and I like the email reminder, <clears throat> the ability to do it on a laptop or a, an iPhone, a media phone as well. just wanted to encourage you about that because we want to <clears throat> make the most of these daily Bible readings that we do as a, as a church together. But today our readings focus on one of those passages of Paul it's found in the book of Second Thessalonians. It's a letter to a church in Thessalonica, Greece. Most likely, First uh, and Second Thessalonians could well have been the first books ever written, the first letters ever written in the New Testament. You know, the books of the New Testament, all 27 of them, aren't in chronological order. They're grouped together by, by the kind of books they are. You've got your four Gospels, and then you have your book of history, the book of Acts that you have 13 letters of Paul that are arranged from the longest, Romans, to the very briefest, the shortest, Philemon. And then those general letters, concluding with the book, the revelation of Jesus. Well, we find ourselves in the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 7. <clears throat> and these words can give us the right kind of advice to kick off the year 2013. Paul begins with setting what he believes is the basis of a good example. Listen to what God's Word says. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. How to kick off a new year? 
Well, you finish well in what you're doing, and then you gear up to begin even better. And Paul's mind, a good example, was a key to finishing well for a church starting well into a new year. His own example. For Paul, it was a matter of integrity. There's no doubt that he wanted to set a good example because his own integrity depended on it. He wasn't perfect. He's not saying, I'm drawing attention to myself because I'm better than anyone else. He is simply saying, I want to set a good example so that when I ask people to follow through, when I ask people to do a good work, when I ask people to follow me, they know that I am not asking of them that which I would not do myself. I want to be a good example. And for Paul, it is a matter of integrity. So what did he say he did? He said he acted in, a, in an upright way. He didn't fudge off of them. And he's talking money-wise. He did not take advantage of their generosity. He says, I could have. I could have expected you to what? To pay me. That's what verse 9 is talking about. But he says, I made sure that I was setting a good example so that you would not read into any of my actions those things that would give you an excuse to disobey the will of God. For him, it was a matter of integrity. For Paul, it was also a matter concerning timing. To be a good example, to be the kind of church we want to be, it's all about timing. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, if you look at verse 7... He uses the phrase, undisciplined manner. He says, we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. He uses the same word. It's one word in the Greek New Testament. He uses the same word in verse 6 that we're not going to read today. And he's going to use that same word in verse 11 when he calls it an undisciplined life. <clears throat> it's one word that means to step out of line. Back the first week of December, Marcy and I took three days and we went to New York to look at the Christmas decorations to see a couple of Broadway shows. Had a great time. One of the things we got to do was go to the Rockettes Christmas show at Radio Music, Radio Music City Hall. The Rockettes travel around the country. I think they come to Dallas, but we got to see the real deal and the real place in New York City. And it was an amazing 90 minutes. There were 36 Rockettes, 36 ladies in a dance line because my obsessive compulsive nature makes me count things sometimes. So I made sure there were 36, always counted how many there were. And one of the numbers they did was the uh, song about the toy soldiers. It's from uh, Nutcracker, some, some, some fancy, some ballet. The Dance of the Toy Soldiers, I think it was, or the March of the Toy Soldiers. And at the end, all 36 of these Rockettes were lined up where we saw their profile, dressed as toy soldiers. And the one right here on the end, moving toward the back, all facing this way, slowly began to move back this way. And what it gave the, the illusion of, what you saw, was very slowly all of the toy soldiers were knocked down like a row of dominoes. But the precision that they used was incredible because it was all look it all looked like it was in slow motion and they did a move here and they all moved back bumping into each other and they did it real slow to where the very last one the 36th one took the weight of them all and they all fell down every dance 
number that they did during that hour and a half was meticulously done. No one was out of step. Everyone was doing it in a coordinated way. Why? Because they knew the end result was going to be worth the effort. Because it was part of doing what they were supposed to do. Paul uses the word, an undisciplined life, as one who steps out of line. One who is a part of a team, a part of a group, a part of a movement that is not just in and of themselves. And when everything goes right, and when all 36 of those ladies had their event, had their moves coordinated, it came off flawlessly. But if any of them had stepped out of line, it would have been obvious. It would have been not good. Paul is talking here about a church, a church in Thessalonica that we can easily bring to bear upon our church, First Baptist Church here in Louisville, that we are set out to do the work of God, and it is a coordinated effort, and we all need to be participating, and none of us need to be to where we step out of line for whatever reason it is. Because if we do, and if people do step out of line when we're all trying to do something together, It makes us all look awkward. It makes us all take a stumble. It makes us all fail to reach the goal we want to reach. So, we got any people stepping out of line in our church? Well, we're human. We're not perfect. But I'm talking about people who deliberately let others share the load or take their load. Paul says... I don't want any of you to live an undisciplined life because it's a matter of integrity and it's a matter of timing. We want to be doing what we do as a church together. He then gives a word of encouragement in verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading, here's that word, an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Now what's Paul talking about here? Some people will take a passage like this... And bring it to bear on a worldwide scene, a political scene. It's not. This is not a a manifesto about how government helps people. It is not about welfare. It's not about a spending plan of a national government. To take this and to bring it to bear upon a political uh, point of view is to misinterpret it. It's just flat out wrong, so quit it. What is it? It is the description of a church. A church. A church in Thessalonica that Paul said was a family. It was a group of people, a congregation. And he is speaking directly to the issue that was facing the congregation that some of those members were stepping out of line 
that some of those members were stepping out of line by leading undisciplined lives, and they were, I love this word, busybody. You go look that one up in the original language, and literally what Paul says is to be a busybody is to work in circles. Literally what the word, it's two words. The word for around or going in circles and the word for work. You put them together and you get this phrase that is translated a busybody. A busybody is someone who what? Who looks like they're doing something. Who looks like they're involved. Who is traveling from place to place but actually accomplishes nothing at all. So their issues could be the same as ours today. What are our issues? Well, perhaps there are people within our own church family who are stepping out of line, who are living lives that are undisciplined. And to those, Paul would say, here's the rule. You don't work, you don't eat. He's not talking about government here. He's talking about a church He's talking about a congregation, a family, a family where people are expected to take their load, to do their part. And when there is a situation where a person within a congregation, Paul is saying, is not doing their part, they are letting others pick up their part of the load. And they are making the church look bad. He said, here's the rule. You all need to understand that you should participate. You should give as you're able to give. And so the rule is, if you don't do your part, you don't partake in the blessings. That's his, that's his advice. That's his command. The church is no place for those who are freeloaders, who are busy but getting nothing done. I ran into a quote in one of my study Bibles that said this, It said, if you find your nose in other people's business, you are underemployed. Listen to that again. If you find your nose in other people's business, you are definitely underemployed. What's he saying to a church family? He's saying within the life of a church like ours, it's a group effort. It's a congregational effort. And when there are those who are stepping out of line, we're not able to accomplish what we need to accomplish as a church. When we are not giving as we ought to give, that's simple, plain fact of the matter. When we are not contributing and giving as we ought to give of our time and of our talents and of the resources that God has given to us, which means financial support. Many times it's because people are what? They're busybodies. They are freeloaders. They are what? They are assuming and taking advantage of the kind of love that God offers only through His church. You see, many people take advantage of agape love, that supreme emotion, that supreme love that that Jesus took with Him when He went to the cross. That's how much He loved us. And many of us presume upon that love at the expense of other members of the family, other members of the church. And Paul says, quit it. Carry your load. Help share the burden. Now, of course, folks, when Paul says if anyone is not willing to work, then he is... Not to eat either. 
There are always people whose life circumstances have rendered it to where they cannot do what they once did. He would understand that. That is assumed. Paul is talking about believers, like many people here in our services today, who are competent, who are gifted. God wants to use your life. But in reality, when you look at your life, you're freeloading, you're leading an undisciplined life. And Paul says it hurts the church. So what is his bottom line word to us as a church family? I call it a daily goal. It's in verse 13. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. I don't call that a resolution. New Year's resolutions, I I think there's a difference between a resolution and a goal. A resolution is something that as soon as you don't meet it or don't do it, then you just slough it off and say, well, I've lost my willpower, I've lost my resolve, and therefore I'm not going to do it anymore. A goal is different. A goal is something that you set in concrete and play with it any way you want. Paul gives us a word, a goal to set for as we move into a new year, and it's simply simply this, do not grow weary of doing good. So I ask you a question, are you rusty? We know what rust does to machinery when it, uh, when it takes over. It keeps the machinery from working as it ought. We use rust as a figure of speech. To be rusty is to be out of step, is to be out of the groove, is to, to have put aside something so long that you need to get back in, in the routine. Are you, am I, rusty? If so, then I've got some advice. For each one of us. These are personal words of advice. I think they're founded in scripture. But they do come from me. They don't come from this passage. Work out your differences. Work out your differences. You cannot be a member of the family of God. In the life of any church. Wherever it is. If you bear a grudge. And you can't work out differences with others. So whatever it is. If it's, if it's your problem, confess it. Pray that God will give you the strength to move on. If it's someone else's problem, approach them in a way that is redemptive, not destructive. Commit in 2013 to being in step with your congregation, with the church family. Work out your differences. In the years that I've been alive, there's more, more good godly work has been thwarted and it's fallen short. It has not accomplished what it ought. And it's because of people like us who can't work through differences and prejudices or whatever the case may be. That's why Paul jumps on busybodies as hard as he does here. That's why he's so, so clear. It's black and white. What are you going to do with these people? Well, here's the rule. You don't participate. You don't do your part. You don't get the blessings. And until you understand, until you know that you can't presume upon God's love like that, upon the love of God's people, and you can't shove off the responsibility to someone else, it's until you learn that lesson, 
So let's learn the lesson. Beware of false teaching. I want to approach it from a little different angle. We think of false teaching and we think of, a well, we're going to guard the, the Bible and we're going to uphold what the Bible says. And that's good. We ought to do that. And we look outside and we think of all these cults and all these, these movements that rub us the wrong way. That's probably true. But, folks, if you go back through church history, if you look at what has, what has hurt the church of God more in the last 2,000 years than anything else, this is what it is. One person with their Bible. And that's all. The idea that I'm going to get it all here, I'm going to pay attention to no one else, I'm going to take advice from no one else. How many heresies have come through history based upon a person who says it's just going to be me and God and my Bible? When you come to the place where you don't think you need advice or you don't need encouragement or you don't need the counsel of a praying people or you don't need to educate yourself or you don't need to go to school to learn how to do what God wants you to do, you're headed for trouble. Because there can be nothing at times more dangerous than one person and their Bible and shutting everyone and everything else out. What does it cause you to do? It can cause you to get out of step. Before you know it. That's why it's a church. That's why it's the congregation. And then be accountable. Be accountable. That's what Paul really, if he wanted to give this a heading, everything about being a good example, everything about a word of encouragement, everything about doing good and not growing weary of doing good, is wrapped up in being accountable. Once again, it makes total sense in the way businesses run. How many times is there a failure in a business because the CEO or whoever it is was not answering to anyone? How many times does tra- is tragedy caused or could it have been averted if people had just been accountable to one another? So it is in the life of the church of God's family. Finishing a year well, I pray we do, so that we can gear up and begin a new year as a church family where we're all in step. What blessings can God give to us when we obey? I pray we see. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today to open your word, to read it, to meditate upon it, to ask for guidance. And Father, we pray that in these closing moments, you will guide our steps. It's in Christ's name that we offer our prayer. Amen. We close this service today with a a song of commitment. We believe God has been speaking to His people in this hour. And so we know that God gives us an opportunity to respond when He speaks. And so we offer that as what we call an invitation, a time of commitment. I'm going to be standing right here at the bottom of the steps on the floor. And as we stand and sing in a moment, I want to encourage anyone in this room that needs to make a a public commitment to be willing to do so. You might say, "What, what kind of commitment would that be?
Well, if you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus, to his claim upon your life, to ask for forgiveness of your sin, to follow Jesus, to step across that line of faith, you might call it be converted or get saved. Any of those phrases are fairly good at describing what I'm saying. It's a choice that you make where you say yes to Jesus in your life. So I want you to come down. If that's something you want me to pray with you about, I'll be glad to pray with you. I can't make the choice for you, but I can certainly give you encouragement. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, just never told anyone. We call it a profession of faith. Maybe you've never been baptized as a believer. That's something that God has encouraged and commanded us all to do. If that's something you're willing to do or want to talk about, come let me know. Maybe you're here today and this is where God wants you to plug in. You're not an official member of this congregation. We're not the only church in this area. Great churches around here. The point is, find the one where you can plug in, where you can serve, where you can get in step with that family of faith. And if you feel it's going to be here, then we invite you to come join our church today. That's how we receive members. And then maybe it's just simply saying, Lord, I'm undisciplined. I've been out of step. I admit it. I don't want to be a busybody. Help me work out my difference. Whatever those things are in your life, right here in the front of your mind, ask God to guide you and He will. That's our invitation. We stand together. We sing. Once you step out, once you come forward right now.